0: You are listening to the Family Business Podcast, the podcast aimed at delivering insights to help your family business thrive. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and each week I'll be bringing you interviews from family businesses and their advisors from all over the world. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Family Business Podcast. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth. And this week, I'm really excited to be joined by Steve Legler, who is a family family legacy advisor, even. Um, hi, Steve, and uh, welcome to the show.
1: Good morning. Thank you for having me. Good to be here.
0: Great. Um, as I say, you, you uh, describe yourself as a family legacy advisor. Um, perhaps for our audience, you could expand on that a little bit and um, tell us your Uh, story and, and history, if that's
1: okay? Sure. Well, I'll just, I'll start with the title part is that when I started in this business, I called myself a family business advisor. And a couple of years ago, I decided to change it and refer to myself as a family legacy advisor. I'm much more interested in what the family wants to do in the future to preserve their legacy versus what business they had that created the wealth that the family has or what business they are running now. Okay. So that's that part.
0: Okay, and um, just to clarify, as people may have picked up from the accent, you are not um, based in the UK, so, so whereabouts in the world are you?
1: No, I am right downtown Montreal, Canada.
0: Fantastic. I'm in
1: the French-speaking part of Canada, but I, uh, my first language is English. Sometimes I go to the U.S. and people say, oh, you're from Montreal. You don't sound like those other people I've met
0: from <laughs> Montreal. Because
1: most of the people around here, it's, English would be their second language. Right, but it's-
0: okay. Excellent. Uh, and so c- can you um, just explain to, to our audience um, how you came to, to do what you do now?
1: Sure. It's kind of a long story. and It goes back uh, 53 years when I was born and I okay. was the third child but only son Born to uh, a father who was an immigrant entrepreneur who had started his own business. And uh, as his only son, it was quickly made apparent to me that my duty was to take over his business Mm -hmm. eventually. Okay. So I grew up with a path drawn for me uh, from which I never... Dared or decided to want to stray and I just sort of followed along. It was the path of least resistance. So every summer in high school, I would go and work in the business. And then I uh, it was a, a steel fabrication. business. Okay. So we were making towers for the utility companies, principally. Mm -hmm. And so I I worked in the shop, I worked in the office, I worked my way up. I did my bachelor's degree in commerce at uh, McGill University here in Montreal, went to work directly for my dad afterwards for three years, and then it was time to go do my MBA, which I did uh, at the University of Western Ontario, which is in London, Ontario, Mm -hmm. and uh, came back and expected to be you know, ready to eventually take over the business. But a funny thing happened on the way back is that uh, within six months of my return, we had sold the business and gone from about 250 employees to four. Wow! And, and two of us were named Steve Legler. So there was Steve <laughs> Legler. You weren't allowed to call him senior, but Steve Legler, who went to go and spend more time on his hobby farm, There was Steve Legler, Jr., that's me, who was left with, well, here are some assets that you have to manage, the proceeds of the sale of the operations, the real estate that we had kept, and some patented products that we had licensed. And uh, a secretary and our CFO, who lasted another little while to, you know, wrap up the ends of the deal, and then he was gone.
0: Okay. So I ended up,
1: it was 1991, I was 27 years old, and I was running a family office. However, back in 1991, the term family office had not yet been coined, uh-huh. and I didn't really realize I was running a family office. I was taking care of odds and ends. So I had a job. I was paid. I had things to do. It was I was okay at it. I was pretty good at it, but it wasn't really fulfilling. And so I, I ended up doing that for a couple of decades, and then I started to get a little bit bored with it. I had changed Uh, The way I invested the proceeds to be more hands-off instead of hands-on, more Mm -hmm. a manager of managers and placed, you know, did asset allocation. And I stumbled upon a program offered here in Canada called Family Enterprise Advisor that came out of the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, way the other end of the country. Mm -hmm. And they had started offering this program. Uh, essentially aimed at people who were investment managers, bankers, accountants, life insurance salespeople, um, to deal with their, to understand family business clients of theirs so that they could serve them better. Okay. And somehow I ended up attracted to this course, not being from the target audience of those that I just named, but I ended up on a, on a flyer, I, I ended up going down to Toronto and sitting in this room with all these people who fit that description, and I really didn't fit in with them. But the people at the front of the room who were teaching the courses on family dynamics and communication and facilitation with families and working on family retreats and family constitutions, that was a whole new world for me. Mm-hmm. I had not realized that that was a thing, that that was a, a career that people could do having grown up in a family business and also having married into another family business. So my, my wife, uh, comes from a, uh, a family business as well. Uh And they also had their liquidity event around 2000. And I saw how that family dealt with the liquidity event, how our family dealt with the liquidity event. And I was starting to learn about all the, the dynamics that go into how families deal with this stuff and how, most families don't really know how to do it and they're not necessarily well served by a lot of their advisors to help them through these things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's where I sort of had my calling during that course to say, oh my God, this is what I was meant to do. Uh-huh. And so I finally figured out what I wanted to be when I grow up. But I, <laughs> I, I was already 48. and so, so that was about four years ago.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And, and ever since then, I have I've written a book called Shift Your Family Business. I write a blog every week on the subject. I have a lot of great feedback on my blogs. People are calling me a thought leader, and I don't really like that term, but (laughs) I keep thinking and keep writing on the subject, and uh, it, it, it helps me to think through all of the stuff that I'm dealing with in my family, in my wife's family, and in client families that I have
0: fantastic and um that's actually how i i came across you myself was um was social media and then uh, your website and your blog and um uh, i have to agree um that they are uh, very very good um, they, they make very good reading so um we'll, we'll put a link in the um show notes um to Perfect. your uh, to your website as well so uh, people can read out a, a bit more about it um Specifically in, in relation to your work and um, some of the sort of theoretical side uh, around working with family businesses, um, the the topic of today's show is um, the Bowen family system theory, um, which I know is something that you have researched and, and studied. Um, f- for those that aren't familiar, uh, I'm not overly familiar with it. C- could you explain what the Bowen family system theory is? Is it e- easy to do in a in a a podcast?
1: It's it's not easy to do quickly. Uh-huh. However, let me just give you a, a little background how I came across it. So in that Family Enterprise Advisor coursework in the first module we did on Family Dynamics, we were taught that a family is a system. A family is a system. Okay. They didn't really go into what that meant and, and I was kind of left wanting for what that really meant. Mm-hmm. And but then we got on to other topics, and, and eventually after I completed the program, somewhere along the way I came across the term Bowen Family Systems Theory, and being the curious person that I am, I started to do some research, and I realized, hey, this is what they were teaching us about the family as a system, but here there's a lot more meat on the bones of this, what a family system is. Right. And so I started to go and look, I was trying to find the book out there on Bowen Family Systems Theory and how it applies to family business. I still have not located that book. Okay, I, I'm not saying that it doesn't exist. I haven't found it, and if someone finds it and wants to send it to me or, or tell me what it is, and I'll buy it. But what I, what I crazily decided to do instead was I said, well, I guess I have to write the book.
0: Uh-huh. And
1: so that was uh, about three and a half years ago that I decided to jump into the Bowen pool and swim around and see what I could learn. And Mm -hmm. I gotta tell you that the first thing, well, one of the first conclusions I came to is, there's no shallow end in the Bowen pool. (laughs) There's there's no book with a primer on what this is. I mean, there are some books that explain the eight concepts, but it's really a a kind of a theory that you're encouraged to not just learn about, but it's it's not just what you do, it's who you become. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of personal work on on working on your own self in your own family, in your own family of origin, clearing up uh, any unresolved issues in that primary triangle, which is you and your two parents. Uh So every person has their primary triangle is them and their two parents. And if you can sort out that relationship... (laughs) And and distance yourself and and be able to treat your parents adult to adult. Uh and Forget about all that emotional stuff that happened while you were growing up. Then you will be well-placed to serve other people who have those same issues because you will have gone through the necessary work to clear your mind and be confident and mature about your own relationships with your parents.
0: Fantastic. Uh, It's certainly not something you can can, um, do in an afternoon then.
1: I've been doing it for three and a half years, and I still I'm still like the new kid on the block. Uh, I'm I'm part of the uh, postgraduate program at the Bowen Center, uh-huh. which is in George at Georgetown University in Washington D.C. And I go down there every quarter for three days, uh-huh. and you know most of the most of the other people there have been doing this for ten years is still somebody who's new, and twenty years and there's still people who used to work with Mo, Murray Bowen uh who are still there walking around the hallway wow and, and actually lecturing to the to the group as well um, maybe I should give a little background on who Murray Bowen was
0: yeah that, that'll be useful
1: um, let's call it the mid1950s in the. US he uh, I think he was from Tennessee ended up in Kansas eventually ended up in the Washington area and he was a psychiatrist. Uh, and he initially when he got into med school he wanted to be a surgeon he ended up working with a lot of veterans who came back from World War II and realized they had a lot of problems that didn't need surgery but that needed psychiatric work and so he got in, interested in the in the more the, the psychiatry end of things mm-hmm. and he ended up developing this theory that at the time Freud I guess was the big, you know, guru in, in the field of psychiatry
0: uh-huh.
1: and, and everything that the, the current medical model was that any problem in someone that someone had psychiatrically was between their two ears
0: uh-huh.
1: and that you had to go and figure out and help that person solve the issues in their head. And Murray Bowen said he had a different way of looking at it. He, he said, humans are a natural system just like monkeys and flocks of birds and schools of fish. And a lot of what the animal world does and how they react is automatic stuff based on their relationships.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So he said, he his, his theory was that the relationship between the people is often the cause of what's going on or, or the, the malfunctions or the or the, the, the problems that people need therapy for. Uh-huh. He, he ended up starting a, uh, a, tr- uh, a study that lasted a number of years where he was working with schizophrenics, typically schizophrenic teenagers and young adults. And he ended up bringing the whole family to live on the ward as a family, and he observed them. And he had his students observing them, just observing them factually. This person did this and then this happened. And they were able to determine that it, it's the reaction, it's the relationships between the people that cause the schizophrenia okay. to the point, to the point where he, he got to the point where if the, the parents would come and talk about a schizophrenic child, he would not treat the child, he would treat the parents. So wow. he would see the parents in therapy, deal with the parents, help them work on their relationship, and almost miraculously, but predictably by Murray Bowen, the child's symptoms subsided.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: And so, so then he knew he was on to something. And, and so if it worked in the schizophrenic patients, this same, these same interactions go on at every level in every family, in every group of people.
0: Correct. Correct.
1: And so, being a family business person, and knowing how much the the family side of things, I always say that you know people talk about uh, the family business. Oh, the business failed, and or why did the business fail, or why were they not able to transition the business from one generation to the other? Uh, usually, the reason things don't go well in a family business have little to do with business and have a lot more to do with family. Uh-huh. And so, coming into this uh wow there's this whole relationship to the family, and it's it 's how the family relates to each other is a bigger determinant of success than how much money the business makes or what the, what what business the family is in uh, I found that fascinating and and deserving of more work
0: yeah absolutely uh, and uh, so that what you 're describing in terms of the the, the Bowen theory is it's founded in systems thinking, isn't it? Which, which is a, a way of um, describing the relationships between people. Have I understood that right?
1: Yes. So the, the, it, at, its, at its essence is uh, a group of people are a system Such that are insofar as if you change one person, you are changing the system. So if one person in the family decides to change the way they are behaving – With respect to the other people in the group, that necessarily changes the whole system because the new equilibrium needs to be established. For example, the parents and the two kids and they're functioning at a certain level and and relating and there's an equilibrium. And one of the children decides, I'm not going to do this anymore. Or I'm not gonna put up with this anymore, or I don't wanna work in the business anymore, whatever it is. They decide to change themselves. Now, typically, according to Bowen theory, the reaction from the rest of the, from the rest of the people in the system is typically, no, you're wrong. Don't mm-hmm. do that. Change back. And then if you don't change back, you know, there will be consequences. Yeah. Because the system loves the equilibrium and and it causes anxiety when something changes that system and they have to find the new equilibrium. But uh-huh. Bowen was saying is if you can get one person to change and be strong enough, mature enough to withhold and stand to their own beliefs and hold that change, then the rest of the system necessarily has to adapt to the new reality that that person has changed. Mm. That's, that's it at, at, at its essence. It sounds so easy, but it's, it's not. It's, 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 bare, it's, it's, it's not even simple. It's certainly not easy.
0: Uh-huh. Uh, and so you mentioned the, the sort of initial triangle, which is the two parents and, and the child. Uh, I, I guess if you use an, uh, uh, an example of somebody growing up within a family business and, and their parents are seen as the authority figures... The, the pain point or anxiety could come there where the, the child is becoming an adult and wants to, to influence their own um, destiny and, and perhaps take over some of that con- control. Is that, is, would that be an accurate understanding of, of one of those um, systems?
1: So one of the, the, the first, uh, depending on where you, you pick up the Bowen theory and look at his list of eight concepts, either the first or the second concept is triangles. Uh-huh. And, and so that basically is that every relationship group can be broken down into triangles and the easiest way to understand the relationships is to look at them on the basis of three people at a time. Mm -hmm. So if there's four people, uh, the two parents and the two kids, that's actually four triangles. And so if you want to figure out what's going on, don't try to look at all four of them together. Try Mm -hmm. to look at each of the triangles and and analyze it that way. Um, So typically in a triangle, there are two people that are on the inside that are together and and there's one person who's on the outside. That outside person may be the child in your example. Mm -hmm. And then they will, if if that child wants to get more power, as you were talking about in your example, they would typically go to the one parent who would be most receptive to that idea, more likely mom, Mm -hmm. and say, hey mom, can you get on my side here and let's work on dad to get dad to let me have more control over things. So that would be an example of how the triangles work is because there's typically two people that are together on one side and one person who's on the outside who feels anxious and tries to bring someone, one of the other people on their side to make someone else the outsider. Uh It's just a, a, a kind of a shorthand way of trying to analyze a situation by breaking it down into the triangle, the three people group, the three person group which Murray Bowen called the, 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 the molecule, the smallest molecule, because yeah. he said, inherently, a two-person system is unstable because it will eventually go and triangle someone in.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so, so that's one of the concepts. You mentioned there's eight concepts, and, and again, it may not be possible to, to cover all of these in a huge detail, um, but but of the eight um, concepts tr- triangles is is one um, could, could you give some examples of the the other elements to the the Bowen theory
1: yeah so the the, the major one is is what Bowen called differentiation of self mm-hmm. and it is how a person can become as much a self as possible and and so the easiest word to use Um, for lay people would be emotional maturity. Uh So he talked a lot about how essentially there are two driving forces in everyone. There's a desire to be independent and there's a desire to conform to the group.
0: Uh
1: And so everyone is always faced with those choices. Do I go out on my own and take a risk of being on my own and being alone, or do I come back to the safety of the group? And sometimes the safety of the group and the family becomes a little too suffocating, and it becomes really hard to break out on your own and to break away. And this happens in family businesses so often where people feel like they need to be part of the family business or else they'd be missing something, (laughs) or they feel that they're duty-bound to be there, or they feel like they have no choice but to be there. And and I've met plenty of people who have worked for decades in a family business and they'll use terms like, "Yes, I was set, I had a 20-year sentence for a crime I never committed. <laughs> I just sort of ended up there and I couldn't get out." Yeah. And that's exactly what 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 he's talking about, and having the ability to have the differentiation of self to break away from the group and not be brought back into the group think. Hmm. So he, he came up actually with a scale of differentiation. This was very theoretical and and he uh, in, in the in the Bowen program at Georgetown, we, we actually spend a lot of time watching black and white videos of Murray Bowen standing in front of a chalkboard, actually saying all this stuff in his own words from videos that were shot back in the 60s. And it, and it's and it's fascinating. Yeah. He's talking about how uh, you know, he came up with this theoretical scale that everyone is differentiated to a different level. And he went from zero to 100, said nobody's at zero, nobody's at 100, barely anyone is, he has hardly met anyone over 70. Most people are in like the 20 to 60 range. Uh-huh. And so a lot of the other th- concepts of the theory come from that, uh, where he talks about there's one called nuclear family emotional process how the the families deal with the anxiety within them, the family projection process, how sometimes the anxiety in the parents gets transferred to one of the children,
0: Uh
1: and then the the child ends up uh, less than capable because they've been focused on so much by the parents. But where did that come from? It came from, very often, the parents having some issues between themselves that in order to relieve that tension between themselves, they just they, they focused on a child uh-huh. instead. And now the the child, they like typically the mother will fear something is wrong with the child. They'll see something that the child does to confirm, "Aha, you see, I was right." Then they treat the child as if they have that condition. And then guess what happens? Is the child believes they have that problem, and that yeah. becomes uh, that becomes the baggage they drag around with them for the rest of their lives.
0: Uh huh.
1: And so I think we we've probably all seen children that that have less developed less than their capacity, and then they're they're labeled with some oh this person has a learning disability, or they have this, or they have that, and and very often, it's it's unfortunately the result of some parental uh, anxiety that they decided to handle by focusing on the child.
0: Uh-huh. And those um, uh, actions from from the parents are. Um naturally done out of, um, out of goodwill, not, not, oh, not understanding that, that the impact that it's going to have um, could p- potentially be negative.
1: Absolutely. And that's, that's certainly one of the things um, when, when, you're, when you study Bowen theory with people who've been doing it for a long time, you're encouraged to actually do a lot of this introspective work on yourself, Uh to better understand yourself. And part of that involves going and clarifying things that happened in your own life Uh and going back and speaking with your parents, adult to adult, to be able to clarify any um, unresolved issues that you have from your own childhood. This is not easy work to do. It's not easy to convince people that they should do this, but it, it is seen by the Bowen community as one of the most important things that people do. If you want to go and advise families about family stuff, you better have cleared up your own place in your own family mm. and understand the work that's involved in being able to do everything that's necessary to to clarify and be clear in your own head and differentiated and understand all the work that goes into it. Yeah,
0: I can imagine for some that might be a very painful prospect to, to think about um, uh, going back and, and looking at events during their childhood and, and growing up that, that may have had an impact on how they conduct themselves in their, their adult lives.
1: Yes, but the interesting thing is that that the things that the child went through in their childhood often stem from things that their parents went through in their childhood Uh and those things came from where their grandparents went through in their childhood and and it's amazing how just understanding what the people went through uh, I didn't intend to talk about this but I but I will because it's important Um, when I started studying Bowen I was encouraged by my first Bowen coach to go and get some clarity on my relationship with my father. So I told the story about how I had been directed in my career to where I was and that I still had some leftover dissatisfaction about the way, quote unquote, I was treated. Um, And as you said, um, it wasn't done with any malice. It was done on the assumption that this was the best thing to do for me and for the family. Uh But I was still, I guess, in the eyes of, of my coach, exhibiting, as he called it, a little too much subjectivity in my relationship to my father. He said, I encourage you to go and get more objective on your father and, and less subjective. And I didn't really know what that meant. but And I said, well, that's, that's interesting that you're asking me to do this work, but my dad's been dead for a number of years, so it's going to be right. kind of hard. So apparently uh, the Bowen people have found a way around that and said, you should go and speak to the oldest surviving members of the family who knew the person. Uh-huh. So on that recommendation of my coach, I went and I spent a half a day with my aunt who was eight years older than my father. And we spent time talking about the household that they grew up in and what it was like and what it was like to live in the household with my grandmother and my grandfather and my, my aunt who, with whom I was speaking, my dad and their younger brother. And just hearing some of the stories about what it was like growing up in that household, all of a sudden, so much of what I had been carrying around in that baggage from my relationship with my father was just so easy to 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 leave behind. Mm-hmm. And I can't say it any more more profoundly than that. But it, it was it was a difference maker. Yeah, it allowed me to see my father in a more objective way because I had now, I had only been carrying around my viewpoint of my father. Uh-huh. But but Bowen talks about objectivity and, and and my understanding of that is if you get the input of other people who knew the person, now you can take my aunt's point of view, my mother's point of view, my point of view, my sister's point of view about my father and all of a sudden, I'm no longer just looking at it from my point of view. Yeah, And, and so I can see things in a new light and I can release a lot of the Anxiety that that I had been dragging around about, you know, why was I treated this way? Which is not—I wasn't treated that way. That's that's just what I lived, and a lot of it was just how I perceived it.
0: Uh-huh. Uh huh. And that ties in, I guess, to, to a certain um, one of the other concepts within uh, the, the Bowen theory, which is a sibling position. Because you mentioned you were the youngest of three. Yes. Um, but but the first son. Um, so, so that led to your path going through um, the the family business. Whereas your, your sisters, did did I'm the, uh, assuming they didn't work within the the family no, business?
1: No, they, they did not.
0: And and so that that concept of sibling position is is particularly interesting because um, birth order obviously has an effect on uh, the roles in which people play within the business and the the, the point at which they join. Um, and can also have an impact on sibling rivalry. so so understanding that sort of sibling position side of things um, is presumably useful as well.
1: Yes, yeah, so so Bowen originally came up when, when I, I think his first uh, publication of the theory, he talked about, I think, six concepts, and it it eventually got to eight. And the seventh one, was exactly sibling position and and for that one he was inspired by the work of a German scientist at the at the time uh, named walter Toman, mm-hmm. who had written a book about sibling position and Bowen became so fascinated with this t- talk about all the different sibling position because it's it, it fit so nicely with so many of the things he was studying. So he he doesn't take credit for the work on the sibling position but he he liked it so much that he adopted it as one of the concepts. And it's it's really interesting uh, the, the problem with these theories is that some people will hear about it and assume that oh well there's a cause and effect relationship okay. here. So the theory says that the oldest will always be this and the youngest will always it's not about will always be Right. But it's, we're talking about tendencies and and general characteristics that, that have been observed in, let's say, a majority of cases. Mm-hmm. And so when I meet with a family, you you better believe that when I start, you know, listening to the stories of who's who and trying to get a feel for wh- which person is occupying which position and who's doing what and where the problems are. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking sibling position all the time. Mm-hmm. It's because so often it is a great, uh, let's say, shortcut way to try to figure out what's probably going on. Right. Now, the danger is to like take that and take it to the extreme and carve it in stone and say uh, – because of this then that it's it's rarely that but in terms of getting a picture of what's going on and why the relation you know you're hearing about oh my relationship with my brother and it's like okay is it just the two of you which one of you is older no there's also an older sister and she all of a sudden things you can put the the family situation in context
0: Mm -hmm.
1: much more quickly when you understand the sibling position. And actually, that that brings us to a point that I, I almost forgot and, and, and really needs to be brought up. When you're talking about Murray Bowen, um, drawing the family diagram. Mm-hmm. So what many people now, and I, I call a genogram or a genogram, yeah. that is the key to starting to understand any family. Uh-huh. And, and in the Bowen, everyone who is studying Bowen has drawn their own family diagram or genogram many times. Uh, when, when we're in the postgraduate program in the afternoon, we have little supervision group sessions with uh, three or four students and, and a supervisor. And we take turns going up to the board and we draw our own family diagram. And then there's a, like kind of a QA. We talk about what's going on here with my wife, and oh, well, she's the fifth born in her family. And so, and there's, we're always talking about people uh, from the perspective of, of who they are in the family tree
0: uh-huh. so
1: that you understand. And, and so you'll often get questions from a skilled Bowen person saying, hmm, I wonder how much the fact that You know, your grandmother grew up at this time over here, and she was the oldest, and and her mother died, so she ended up taking care of the kids. And so that's how she became, and then how did that transfer to how your mother became the way she was? And then how did that, you know, and all of a sudden, you're realizing, and you would never be able to do or understand any of this if you did not draw the family diagram Uh and understand actually how the different pieces of the puzzle fit together, because there's so much that comes from the generations before that we don't really realize. Mm. The Bowen people will spend a lot of time asking questions about your parents and your grandparents that seem like, why are you asking me about this? Yeah. But then you start to answer that those questions. And then the the follow-up questions come and, and all of a sudden you're starting to see things in a completely different different light. Mm. And that's that's where my fascination with the Bowen work comes is that every time I do it, I do more of it or do it with a different family or go back to my family and and, and analyze another question about what's going on and how things ended up. All of a sudden, the theory gives you some, some structure of, of understanding why certain things are the way they are. And, and and it's only once you can understand how things got to be where they are that you can really start to figure out where you're gonna go with it.
0: Mm. If, if you
1: don't know how something got to be the way it is, it's hard to treat it.
0: Yeah, completely. And, and I guess, um, j- just thinking about my own um, family, I'm, I'm not, um, it, I, I'm in a family business, but it, it's uh, not my family, I've, I've joined a family business. Um, but but with my own family, I consider my grandparents to be elderly people because I've only ever known them as elderly people. Yeah, I've never really taken the time to understand their childhoods and their upbringing and adolescent years and early adult years into when they started a family. And you, uh, It may just be me, but I think you, you kind of take for granted the fact that um, the, the people in your family have, have grown up and been through... Um, similar and, and possibly very different experiences to your own w- which has shaped the way that they treat you which is shaping the way that you then treat people uh, and it is all in- interlinked
1: russ now you know now you have your homework
0: yeah absolutely go,
1: go, go and spend <laughs> some time with your with all your oldest surviving relatives and ask them questions about what it was like when they were growing up, and you will start to see them in, new, in a new light. Yeah. You'll understand your parents better. You'll understand yourself better.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Um, that, Following
1: that's... work that I did with my, fought with my aunt about my father, um, I, I decided to take a similar tack with my mother.
0: Uh-huh. I,
1: was, I was taking her on a six-hour car ride to go to the graduation of, of uh, one of my nephews, And I said, uh, Mom, uh, there's some questions I want to ask that I've never asked, but you know what? I was asking stuff about Dad, so I'm curious. You wouldn't believe the things I learned about my mother and her childhood and her early married years when my sisters were born and she was living with her in-laws and the stories that she told me. Um, It was eye-opening. Yes. And for the price of asking a couple of questions, there's a whole education and and an ability to shine a light on stuff from your past, which is which has affected you all your life, which you maybe never realized.
0: Mm. Yeah, it, it's certainly on my to do list now. Um, it, it is. Uh, I think it will be quite exciting to to find out about the the history of it all. Um, g- going back to the, uh, the 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 blog you wrote on. Um, the Bowen family system theory. There's a particular comment in there that I'm interested in um, sort of perhaps expanding, um, where you state that the hierarchical leadership models are being replaced by distributive leadership uh, models. And I'm interested in the application of that to family businesses, given that the nature of a family is hierarchical. You've got parents, then children. And so that shift from a hierarchical leadership st- structure to a more distributive one—do um, do you think that is more challenging within a, a family organization?
1: Uh, absolutely. I mean, th- that's so. Let me just go back. The, the the blog that you're referring to, I had written back in, I think it was April this year. Yeah. I was attending a conference that the Bowen Center put on. They put on a spring conference every year and, the, and the, the, the theme this year was about Bowen Theory and organizations. So Bowen Theory is used a lot in, in, uh, in therapy and the, the clergy use it with their congregations but there's also a, a significant amount of people trying to do just corporate consulting, understanding people in leadership roles and helping them understand themselves. <clears throat> and so during this this conference, there was a bunch of different speakers going up and talking about different aspects of, of Bowen theory. And I was taking notes like crazy uh, on the assumption that, well, if I'm going to write a book, sometimes notes will come in handy. Uh-huh. And so one of the things that, that uh, a couple of the notes that I wrote down that I mentioned in the blog was collective intelligence requires diversity of opinion and uh-huh. And and think of that in terms of a family business. Yeah, and And in
0: terms of the differentiation of self um, concept as well um, on that.
1: Absolutely. That not everyone is there's there's you don't want to have groupthink. You want to yeah. have a bunch of different opinions to get the best of everything. And then the, the question you're asking about hierarchical leadership models, that has nothing to do with Bowen. That's that's what's going on in society. Like uh-huh. people are lamenting the fact that fewer and fewer children are choosing to go into the family business, and why is this and this is a terrible thing, and why you know, how do we fix this? Well, a lot of it is. That the younger people today, uh, the the hierarchical, you do this and I'm the boss and I tell you what to do, that that doesn't wash Uh anymore. And we see it even in things like uh, sports teams. You know, the the kind of coaches that were successful back in the 70s and 80s who laid down the law Mm -hmm. and yelled at the players, they might have been successful then. If you take those same people and put them in charge of a team now, it won't work. Yep. Society doesn't work that way anymore. And so when you take the the older entrepreneurial father who built this business because he knew best and he knows best and he's going to tell everyone what to do, you know, that might have worked in the 80s. Mm. It might have worked in the 90s. I don't think it works anymore. No. So. Finding a way to work with the family to understand that those ways don't work anymore, but finding the ways to help them communicate so that they can work together and get the best out of everyone and, and make group decisions that the family, because they made the decision, they buy into the, the decision and they will properly implement the decision as opposed to, well, we're gonna do this because dad said so. Mm-hmm. We don't really agree with it, but dad said so and he'll be mad if we don't do it, so we have to do it. Well, good luck with that. Yeah. It's not going
0: Yeah, absolutely, and then is is that an example of automatic behavior where, where things are done just because that's how they've always been done?
1: Um. So yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have necessarily put it that way, but but typically it goes back to that, you know, we things don't change until someone decides to make some change. Everything will just always be done the way it is, it has always been done. It becomes part of the family culture. It's just the way things are done around here. And, you know, as as the world moves on, if the company stays the same because it's more comfortable to stay the same, eventually the company will be left behind with Mm. that culture because they're not adapting to the new realities of the world.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess that that feeds into what we were talking about at the outset in in the, the fact that you describe yourself as a family legacy advisor rather than a family business advisor. And focusing on that legacy point can encourage different discussions to be held Rather than it being about the immediacy of the, the business success, considering the, the legacy side of things, it is far longer term. And, and, you know, how do you want to be remembered and how do you want the family to be, be remembered and, and things like that? Um, I, I guess that makes the, the conversations around um, the longer term um, planning for, for the business slightly easier.
1: So the book that I wrote that came out in 2014 was called Shift Your Family Business. The the secondary title of the book was Stop Working In Your Family Business, Start Working On Your Business Family. Uh And it's the fundamental switch from thinking about the business to thinking about the family and from the working in to the working on. And and so that's the shift in mentality that I think you're 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 getting at. Uh-huh. And I I wrote a blog a few months ago that uh, encapsulated part of the legacy question, and it was I had, I had been listening in on a call uh, of the Purposeful Planning Institute, and and the speaker was saying that pe- that. The the legacy equation at its simplest is people plus assets equals legacy. Okay. Too many people think the assets by themselves. So grandpa got rich and made a lot of money in this business. Mm -hmm. And so that's his legacy. Well, if all you have is the money and you don't have the people on board who understand where the money, how the money was made, understand that they want to continue the legacy, understand and are able to work together to preserve that legacy after Grandpa's gone, Uh eventually, you know, if Grandpa paid... Uh, 20 million bucks to put his name on that wing of the hospital, but but the grandchildren d- don't even know what grandpa did. Uh-huh. How long is that legacy going to last? So yeah. you need to have the people on board to understand the story, to care about the story, and to care about working together going forward into the next generation to keep that story alive. Mm. So the assets themselves are never enough in the long term to preserve the legacy you need the people to keep the story alive to keep the caring alive to keep the nurturing and the growing of of everything else that was that was grown on the asset side the legacy will not doesn't work with with just the assets. It needs the people. And the people, the relationships of the people in the family, are they able to get along to continue to preserve this Mm -hmm. after the person who created the wealth or after the people who are in charge of it now? After they're gone, will are you, Mr. Mr. and Mrs. Family Leader, are you doing enough to make sure that everything you worked for, that after you're gone, that these people that you've raised are they going to keep this going or not and you know what if if they're not able to because they don't get along or they don't care that's not the end of the world but at least realize it yeah so many times families will do all kinds of things because they think this is this is what they want but they never take the time to clarify with the kids that this is you know what what they actually want mm. so when it's when it's handed down top down it doesn't work as well as when it's co-created between one generation and the other uh-huh. And so families who are wise enough to say, look, let's work on this while we're still here, and let's make sure that we're handing it to you in a way that you're comfortable in receiving it so that you can keep it going, as opposed to let's write up some complicated trusts and wills, and when we're gone, you're going to inherit this pile of stuff, and then you're going to have to figure out what to do with it, but you have no say in how it was put together. Well good
0: luck with that absolutely and I guess that links in with some of the stats that we see about um, so many businesses failing to get past the third generation it is because that um, the, the care and attention is not not paid um, early on it, it's kind of left to uh, or someone else will sort it out or, or the next generation can deal with that uh, yeah and what you're suggesting w- would seem to help overcome that
1: it takes a lot of work to do this stuff. Mm. It it really does. So the fact that most family businesses don't make it to the next generation, there's all kinds of reasons for that. And 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 it's not always, you know, people chalk it up to failure, and they they try to throw these stats at their at their clients and say, mm. well, if you don't do this, look, you're going to be one of those that that fails. I don't I don't like to look at it that way. I don't like to to throw the stats in front of families. Mm-hmm. I like to try to figure out where the family is and what they want to do and and try to help see if it's realistic so the parents will, will express a desire to do something. Then I like to work with the next generation and meet them and understand and try to determine their capacity to actually do what their parents want. And if the if the... If there is capacity and ability to work together to do that, then let's work together with both generations and figure out how it's going to work. Mm -hmm. And if it can't work because there's two kids and they hate each other's guts, well, then let's recognize that and let's work on plan B and figure out in light of the reality of the situation with the children, what is the best way to handle the assets of the parents so that they don't end up making the relationship between the kids worse. Mm -hmm. And So my, my bias is always towards preserving the family harmony, uh-huh. and, and if there's a business and handing it down to the next generation is going to screw up the family harmony, well, then let's look at ways that maybe we can sell the business or do something else or have one person take over the business or one person do something. But let's not let running the business screw up the family. That's my bias.
0: Yeah. I like that. So if you were, my next question is going to be if you had one tip um, to, to pass on to to families, but based on um, your own experiences, um, would you say that was it? I know it's difficult to say one tip, but... Um.
1: Well, no, I, I, I think the one tip would be um, start the conversations with the next generation. Don't don't do that. I I drew all this stuff up with my accountant and my lawyer Mm -hmm. and you'll find out about it after I'm dead or, well, here it is and I'm not changing it. This is what it is. I mean, if you can develop, um, your, your estate plan and with, with the people who are going to be inheriting it, don't, please don't. (laughs) Just do it with your lawyer and your advisors and then present it as a fait accompli mm-hmm. after. Yeah. Because yeah. or if you've already done that, you have a chance to have a discussion with them and show it to them and explain it to them and get their feedback. And hopefully if, if you learn that the way you've drawn it up doesn't really fit with them, please change it. Mm-hmm. Please yeah. take the opportunity <laughs> to get their feedback and find a way to make it better and do it while you can, because it'll save all kinds of grief and regret later on for your children. And, and if you're doing it for your children like so many people do, mm. and, and that's perfectly understandable, then please consider what the children want what the children are capable of in terms of their individual capacity and their ability to work together because of their relationships. Please, that's my one wish, is that families would have the important discussions so that when the discussions can no longer be had because somebody's not around anymore, that they're glad that they had them in advance mm-hmm. because they prepared things in a logical way that that makes the family harmony uh, not an issue. It, it, it it's because it was decided as a family. And so the death of the parent was just another event. And, and everyone knew what was going to happen after that, 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 that the death of the parent does not become an inflection point that drives everything in the wrong direction.
0: Uh Fantastic. That's great. And, um, for for our audience members who um, perhaps want to find out a little bit more about you, where, where can they do that?
1: So the website that I have is is name, is the same name as, as my book. So it's ShiftYourFamilyBusiness.com.
0: Okay. Uh, and obviously you're on um, Twitter. Uh, and... I am
1: on Twitter. I'm on
0: LinkedIn. And those are my main uh, social media things. Excellent. And uh, again, we'll post some uh, links to those in the show notes if, if people want to follow those. Um, and then one last question, uh, which I, uh, I haven't sent over to you, but um, is uh, when is your book about the Bowen concept going to be released?
1: Yeah. Um, so the <laughs> first book came out in July, uh, 2014, uh-huh. which was a few weeks before my 50th birthday. Right. And so I kind of had this loose time frame of in another five years, there'll be another book. Right. So I'm working toward I've got less than 24 months now till I turn 55. So Uh uh, that's why I've been thinking about this (laughs) a little bit more. And when you proposed Bowen as a subject for our podcast, I said, "Okay, let's do that because if, if I'm going to be – I, I want to write a book not for Bowen people. I want to uh-huh. write a book for family business people to understand Bowen. Yeah. And I'm spending all this time with these Bowen people, and I'm talking their language. I need to be able to take the concepts and and, and speak about them in, in layman's terms. Uh-huh. And so this, this, this forced me to do a round of going through some of the Bowen concepts and figuring out in answering your questions how to – speak about them in, in terms that everyone can understand
0: excellent good
1: so 2019 hopefully that's
0: that's the goal excellent and we'll get you back on at the time and uh, we can have another chat about it absolutely excellent um steve thank you very much for your time uh it's some, some incredible stuff in there so uh, i've really enjoyed our chat and uh hopefully we'll uh, as i say we'll have you on as a guest again in the future
1: thank you so much russell it's been it's been a real good. Uh, exercise for me to as i said to to try to explain some of this bowen stuff yeah uh to non-bowen people
0: Fantastic.
1: And, and i hope they've i hope they've learned something and found it useful and and become intrigued
0: i'm sure they will that's it for this week we hope you enjoyed the show if you'd like to leave us a review please feel free to do so on itunes or if you want to get in touch you can find out more information at www fanbizpodcast.com We'll see you again soon.